summer comes, the river runs again. I hear the music of the ice cream man. I'm making sparks, I'm making brand new friends when summer comes. Says it it's a little bit on the warmer side so i've got the window cracked open in here so you're hearing some birds some cars some buses maybe even if you're lucky you're hearing some of the bees uh buzzing around the flowers just outside my window here and uh those in case you're wondering there are no buses walking by so don't worry about that summer is almost here and if you're a teacher thank you for what you do and your summer, as it were, is sort of here. Uh, in that vein, we are using the Pan Astral tune, an extra excellent Pan Astral tune, When Summer Comes off of their album, Suburban Blues. So check them out, panastral.com, Pan Astral on iTunes, Pan Astral on Bandcamp, Pan Astral on SoundCloud, Pan Astral, wherever you get your digital music, or I guess wherever you can get your music for that matter, and check back to panastral.com because they are just playing more and more shows, dropping new music, so you're going to want to check them out. With that being said, this was another, it's a longer episode, but I swear I say this all the time. It's really good. I edited this one last night and was just super, super stoked at how it came together. So, as always, thank you to, to, thank you, to you for listening. Thank you to Panastral for the music. And thank you to my friend and podcast host and just fellow adventurer, Michelle, for doing this with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Enjoy. Comfortable or I moved it closer. Is this better? Okay, well that's better. Yeah. Okay. Now that's and probably I've, it. I've realized so I have this really heavy flannel shirt mm-hmm. that I like to wear when we record because my apartment is like balls freezing and I refuse <laughs> to turn the heat up. Yep. But what I realized is the last couple of recordings that you and I have done together, my microphone, since I use my earbuds, it rubs mm-hmm. against the shirt collar. So I think some huh. of our static problem is also my fault from huh. My microphone rubbing on my shirt collar. So tonight I'm wearing a regular sweater that doesn't have a collar. So that might help cut cut back on some of that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know sounds. about that. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. Well, I noticed it. So, yeah. <laughs> Never so mind we've then. got <laughs> radiant floor heating in this place. What does that mean? Like um, it's in the floor? Yeah. So there's... Um, oh. Yeah. We've got like... It's one of the few houses around here that actually is hooked up to gas. Okay. And so the gas like... I don't know if it's if it's the gas is running underneath, but I think like it heats up some water and just like shoots it underneath the floors. 
Uh-huh. So it keeps it like, if you want, keeps it super, super like toasty in here mm-hmm. without that smell of the baseboard heating. And because it's gas, it's cheap. Nice. So, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Why doesn't everybody have that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he's walking around. Uh-oh, pups. He's like, what the hell are you doing in here? I don't hear him at all, so... He's just staring at me right now. His tail's oh, wagging. he's not moving. Okay. <laughs> <No. laughs> That's why. Ugh, I thought... Right. Well, and I would like you to take the lead on that portion because I heard about it. Okay. And I was like, this is dumb, and I never read into it. So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, like some things you hear about, and you're like, I don't even... Do I even really want to know? I'm not sure I do, so I just <laughs> ignored all of the news on that, so I think you should you should take the lead when we get to that point, so... I don't even know. I'll probably cut this <clears throat> out of there, but flap with house member... Uh, I forgot her first name. Uh, last name's Omar from, uh, I think, the 5th yeah, District in it? Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, the one who... She kind of keeps putting her own foot in her mouth and then the republicans react even worse so well it was funny i was texting (laughs) uh that republican friend of mine and i think he was waiting for me to like kind of like set up something and then spike it all in republicans but what i was trying to lay out is you know she already sort of has said some things that are fairly problematic when it comes to um just jews so yes. that history combined with, you know, this, because what she said isn't necessarily wrong as far as like, oftentimes APAC you know, has Congress mm-hmm. and you know, our political system put sometimes Israel's needs ahead of our own. Yes. And that's not incorrect. Right. However, just, as I said, her history also, in, uh, so Keith Ellison uh, represent that district before her, who I really like. However, Ellison also has that kind of troublesome connection to uh, Louis Farrakhan. Mm. So it's like, there's already sort of a, there's some things that aren't super good here. And then like her first thing of, you know, it's all about the Benjamins and like, then subsequently trying to explain it and just making it worse and worse, as you said, putting your foot in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. And then, Poor word choices. Yeah. So. <laughs> The Republicans should have just kind of sat back and been like, we'll let you guys handle this because you're just going to get Steve King and Donald Trump thrown back in your face repeatedly. It's My point to him was that this whole situation has basically been so dumb because mm-hmm. then there was the whole let's vote to condemn all hate, which kind of made me groan because it's like, okay, you guys are all lives mattering this. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, and then when the Republicans, like the, what, 24 of them who voted against it, what, just just vote present. Just, I mean, it's a symbolic vote. Right. You don't have to, like, like we, we're cool with hate. And then, of course, you, know, you this is probably way into the internet weeds here. <sighs> Megan McCain got herself wrapped up in this. And just a bunch of just, it just, it's still to this day getting dumber. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, it's impossible to unpack like everything that's really wrong with it. But I was mm-hmm. listening to, there's a podcast. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's hosted by one of the public radio stations out in New York City. 
It's called Left, Right, and Center. They had a guest on there, and she was talking about how when Obama first took office and there was flaps with congressmen either on social media or through emails Mm -hmm. using images of monkeys and watermelon and stuff like stuff that's overtly racist super overtly racist (laughs) and then they're like which is pretty easy to spot so kind of what they were told is hey get into this more coded thing of like hey if we refer to black people as lazy and you know uneducated that's or or criminal yeah yeah that's that's harder to police your intent it's mm-hmm. it's usually pretty obvious what you're doing and so what she was saying is omar has never done anything that's like as far as the super overt but she's kind of been borderline that before mm-hmm. and now like as they kind of like maybe you just shouldn't talk about this as much she's trying to like kind of get more towards the like kind of ambiguous thing mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like if you're having to toe this line you're probably not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what I felt with all of this. But mainly my main point to him and my big point right now is that this started off badly with uh, comments that were, as I said, problematic at best. And she kind of made it worse. But basically everyone, I guess this is a bipartisan uh, applause. Everyone just (laughs) made the whole situation dumber. Yes. When it just should have been, hey, uh, let's say, let's kind of say, maybe you you should cool it off there. But also, maybe you guys who, uh, you should actually do something about your Steve King problem or your many, it's endless. But it's just all so stupid and Mm -hmm. it keeps going to now. I don't know if you saw our, uh, because this is is a segue here, Michelle. Oh, Um, goodness. Okay. (laughs) Our dear president was clearly watching fox and friends one of these <laughs> past mornings and now a new maga kind of attack line is that the well he saw something because fox and friends made a segment to something called uh what was it oh the like exodus or something i can't remember what they called it and referring to now okay. like, they have no proof of this but they want to talk it into <laughs> reality that the Jews are massively fleeing the Democratic Party because the Democrats are the party of anti-Semitism. Right. And he's told, like, and they're all, it's just so funny. They're all trying to make hay on this thing, which it's like, um, if you actually look at the polling and the data, this, and, you know, your, your own past uh, six-star uh, sheriff thing you did there, Donald, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't really work out. But, um, yeah, so... Like, I stepped off my own segue there. But do you <laughs> want fine. to kind of uh, walk us through this really... It's fairly long. Like, every time I, I would get to their paragraph, I'm like, oh, it's still going. But it's it's good stuff. Uh, this piece yeah. by Jane Mayer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I was I was a bit startled with how long it was, too, when I printed it out. But anyways, um, the piece published by The New Yorker last week by Jane Mayer the making of the Fox news white house. And uh, I mean, we, we've talked about it. Plenty mm-hmm. of other people have talked about it, about how, you know, the Fox news is just kind of a mouthpiece, kind of a, a way for Trump and his cohorts to get their horrible proto fascist ideas out there and kind of rile up their base. 
but, but we kind of already knew that. So I felt like what this article illuminated <laughs> is just how bad it is as oh, yes. far as the integration between the Fox News and the White House. So, I mean, it, it, this article is definitely worth a read. It, definitely, it also definitely covers a lot of stuff that we already knew. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, uh, like, we know that Trump spends at least six, quote-unquote, executive hours a day watching Fox News. Which is beyond um, terrifying. Beyond terrifying. And uh, Axios published an article kind of outlining it in comparison to what other presidents in the past have done, which is not watch TV all fucking days, shockingly enough. Um, But so we already knew that. We already know that he's on the phone with Sean Hannity all the time. Uh, You know, we already knew there was like an inappropriate level of relationship between Trump and a lot of people that worked for Fox News over the years. But this, this article tries to prove that it's, that Fox News has essentially become state TV and that it's not just it's not just Trump using Fox News to his own advantage. It's Fox News using Trump to their own advantage exactly. as well to keep their ratings up high um, through fear mongering. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the basic premise of it. And uh, she she kind of gives a, a nice timeline that kind of breaks down like how this evolution happened because you know fox news was founded what 20 years ago correct and it was just it was kind of like in response supposedly it was a conservative response to things like cnn but supposedly allegedly and i mean she she through the through the stories of three main characters rupert murdoch uh bill shine and um uh uh, what was his name? Uh, the Ailes, late Roger like, Ailes, yes. Ailes, <laughs> yes, Ailes. Roger Ailes. Um, and so in telling their stories and their relationship with Fox, <laughs> it's like Rupert Murdoch founded this because he saw an opening in the market to get yes. conservative uh, working class people to watch his shows because they didn't really like CNN. That was it. And it had worked That's for him in England before where he'd taken over some papers there. Mm-hmm. And had it basically go to, I, th- I think Mayer even alludes to it in this piece where he realized that if you just kind of got some conservative chum in the water uh-huh. and mixed it up with the journalistic standards of tabloids, right, that people just ate it up. And that, right. yes. Yeah, because it's a reinforcement of, of already, like, already established fears, be they, like, real fears like based on re- real you know threats and stuff or not it doesn't matter or is it the knockout uh, game which is always happening <laughs> right pretty much so i mean it, it kind of outs like that that even from the very beginning fox news was not really about conservatism it was about fear and anger politics Correct. but it's the coded language around race and class so they don't say they didn't well they didn't used to they say they're a little more over it now but they, it was always based upon race and class and uh, just, you know, stoking the fires of working class fears in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all it was, was just a way to make money. And, you know, obviously became incredibly successful. It surpassed CNN and viewer ratings, like, what, like right after 9-11? Correct. And it's been the top news cable channel since then. It still has more viewers than CNN or MSNBC or anybody like that. In fact, uh, so... One of the early 
crafters of MSNBC mm-hmm. was Roger Ailes. Mm-hmm. And what he was trying to do is Ailes, I'll get to this at, at the end as far as like kind of some Gabe Sherman observations here. Okay. But if you remember, I don't know if you do or not, like I was, you know, as a senior in high school, you know, freshman in college, there was a race at the time. Well, so Ailes founded MSNBC. A lot of the people that <clears throat> are on Fox News now, he hired some of them over at MSNBC. Mm. In fact, after 9-11, because there was such a drive to, as you said, tap into the sphere, MSNBC was trying to follow the Fox News mold, not like what, what we're kind of seeing now as far as they've been accused of being the liberal wing uh, or liberal answer to Fox News. Mm-hmm. They were trying to kind of get some of the same kind of personalities and be a little bit more like, I mean, almost going to bat for George W. Bush. Mm. And just it it didn't work because uh, Ailes was just really, really good at his job. But I, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no, you're fine. But I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the George Bush era because I think that was the, one of the more interesting parts of the piece is talking about how Murdoch and Ailes and Shine all kind of worked through the Fox News uh, worked through Fox News before Trump kind of came onto the political scene, mm-hmm. mainly 2011. So up until that point, I mean, it's really disgusting to think about like Roger Ailes as being like the voice of reason <laughs> because I he was such that a was, horrible yeah. human being. But she, but she makes a valid point that you know, even though he had jokers on Fox News like you know Glenn Beck. They eventually fired Glenn Beck because they're like, you are too ridiculous. He's a clown. He's a total clown. And his theories um, before he got fired, they were like, you're embarrassing us. These are such horrific lies that we're not going to give you airtime anymore. Yeah. So, and that was Ailes' choice, if I remember correctly, in the piece. It was. um, It was to be fair to, well, to be fair not to Ailes, but just to be fair to, well, Whatever it's, it's it's fair to Ailes because it's not all that he had. Like mm-hmm. it was that Ailes, well, they were hemorrhaging sponsors, especially like before and mm-hmm. after Beck's show. Mm-hmm. So it was partially money. Also, mm-hmm. what really troubled me reading this piece is that, as you said, that Ailes was somehow the voice of reason. Right. Was that Ailes at the end of the day? Um, Based off of reading uh, Gabriel Sherman's biography of him, which Ailes basically tried to tank Gabe Sherman's career and like told right. him about it. Like, we've got a team of searching like all the horrible stuff you've ever done and what's going to come out if you release this. And he did. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Ailes was certainly a Republican, you know, he was a Republican, you know, just basically a pit bull. You know, he mm-hmm. was, he was always going to go to, he was going to fight and he was, didn't mind fighting dirty. He was, as I've said in this podcast before, oddly enough, one of the things he won't take credit for is the whole, um, oh, I just listened to a podcast about today. What the hell's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> oh, the Willie Horton ad. He claims to have not yeah. known about that. Right. So I think part of what drove Ailes was he was like, all right, I'm going to drive fear. I'm going to make money because he was good at that. I'm also going to do it and try and help the Republican Party, which I like because, you know, he... 
he probably has, well, he's certainly in the modern era, but I would say even going back to the Nixon days, probably had more influence than our friend Roger Stone did. Hmm. But he wanted to be taken seriously. He wanted to be thought of as like a serious person mm-hmm. and who wasn't just out there making a quick buck. Right. So when, you know, Sean Hannity was crossing the, because they always talk about, well, they're not actually journalists. They're like, they're what, just on their talent. They're pundits. They're commentators. Yeah. yeah. Um, whenever they would do stuff like that, Ailes would kind of dial them back in. Right, well, right. I think part of that was he may have at least not understood, but felt this idea of what we we used to think was the gravity of politics, the gravity of like societal norms, that if you fuck up, you're going to have to either like say you're sorry, or you're going to get your shit, you're, you're going to can't. You can't keep being right. a disingenuous douchebag and get away mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And I think what Fox News it, has learned after Ailes, well, <laughs> ouster, because, um, mm-hmm. you know, not only did he cover for Bill O'Reilly, but he had his own, uh, what's the fun um, kind of, uh, what's, oh, man, I'm not even that tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, whatever. His own sexual proclivities. That's not the word I'm looking for. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dalliances or yes. something. Yeah. He was a sexual predator and, you know, because he had power and um, this is kind of a non sequitur. He was also a short man who had health health problems as a kid, which kind of kept him from being super active. But he was forced out. And then Bill Shine, who just recently stepped down as Trump's White House communications director to essentially step into the same role for his campaign for 2020, Mm-hmm. jumps in and he's basically been the fixer for Ailes and O'Reilly as this piece alludes to for mm-hmm. a long time. And he realizes, Hey, we don't actually have to apologize. And while Ailes may have had some sense of shame at like some point, mm-hmm. the dollars are all that seems to matter as far as what's going on with all this stuff. And uh, back to your point about kind of, them just getting worse through the years. And mm-hmm. I, as I said before, I think Donald Trump has been a racist fella for quite some time. Right. But I think at a certain point, Fox News spoke to him mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, I can get behind this kind of politics. And so I think his entire, like, you know, they're talking about, oh, he's been like a bullshitter and a, uh, you know, carnival barker forever. Well, he gets his talking points from Fox News and has, or at least since his whole birther thing. Right. So it it kind of stands to reason that he wouldn't stop. And what this piece talks about just made it worse is because not only do they realize that, you know, they have a direct line to him. So I don't, I don't think anyone knows, including Trump or Fox news, where Trump ends and where Fox news begins and vice versa. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but a lot of the the other main argument though is that that's all facilitated because of the demise of Ailes. Like it Correct. got it got so much worse into and after two thousand sixteen after he was ousted from his position, and then who came in to kind of help take over for Fox was his yes man for all those years, Bill Shine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 
she she has a lot of like unnamed sources um but you know she's a pretty respected reporter so i feel like she would do her due diligence but um you know she has a lot of people in this article that used to work for fox who have all like either jumped ship or been fired or let go um as fox news has gotten more ridiculous and one of them said that bill shine his only talent was following orders sucking up to power and covering up for people hey sounds familiar Right. Yeah. So you get, yeah. So you get this guy who comes in after Ailes is ousted and every, you know, we all hope like, well, maybe Fox news will be less ridiculous because this horrible, you know, sexual predator that just decided to go along with Trump, like maybe Fox will get better now that he's not there. And it's like, no, he was the gatekeeper because the guy that took over his position as co-president of Fox news was his yes man, Bill Shine, who mm-hmm. doesn't say no to anybody no. who just said, goes along with everything. And so Bill Shine comes in and all of a sudden Sean Hannity can do whatever the fuck he wants. Nobody's there to say like, hey, Hannity, you need to tone it down a a notch here. Bill Shine just lets it all happen. And then within a year or two, he leaves Fox to go work for Trump in the White House as communications director slash deputy chief of staff. And his wife hops on Twitter and shares her opinions about being an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Well, that I didn't, I didn't catch, but I'm not surprised. Like, Stay away from the internet, kids. It's bad. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's, a, it's, you get the guy that was the fixer for all the sexual harassment suits against O'Reilly and Ailes and who just lets Hannity do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He's now working directly for the president. And what's even more confusing to me is how he is still getting paid by Fox News for his quote-unquote severance package Yep. while he is now on the federal payroll as a yeah. member of White House staff. Although, yeah, you, like you said, that's kind of switching up now. Yeah, and again, we'll, we'll get into this more because I think we should do a whole episode on, his, on Trump's corruption and how this whole <laughs> thing of like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, investigate a person looking for a crime. It's like, it's pretty obvious, but okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm already tired just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I do that so much. One of the things... Oh, also, this article does bring up something that was, I think, sort of not... Well, I know that it had been suspected that Trump knew about uh, the line of questioning he was going to receive from Megyn Kelly regarding yes. his treatment of women. Cause, the, um, the, pre- the election debates, right? Correct. Because yeah. uh, Trump... While he does basically shoot from the hip, he doesn't do so in the most coherent fashion ever. So the fact that he was ready to spike with a attack line of only Rosie O'Donnell, like right, right off the bat, just it's like okay, he knew that was coming. So right, I, I well, sort of and, believe. That. Well, and you know, and Megyn Kelly, let me just gripe about her for just a second. Like, please do when. When all of the shitty treatment that she got from Fox News, which was bad, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying any human being ever deserves to be treated the way that she was treated there at a place of employment. When all of that came to light and she left and went to NBC, CBS, NBC, NBC, and she wrote her book, it was like, (laughs) we all felt kind of bad for her. But then, like, in this (laughs) article... (laughs) Yep. And some of the other things that she said publicly, which is why she's no longer at NBC. Correct. Um, in this article, she still won't own up to how she was also like compliant with some of the problems at Fox News. Oh yeah. And and like 
well, you know, in this article, she says, well, I never actually said that anybody, you know, told Trump about this or that I heard about that, blah, blah, blah. But like circles round and round and round. And it's like, yeah, you did. (laughs) Like she. It's. I think Kelly is, (laughs) you know, people felt like rightly felt bad for her because she had. Been treated horribly. She's been treated horribly. And what I think is kind of a weird reason to feel sympathy for somebody she had for years gone to bat for just the, I mean, I remember like the post, like, you know, Ferguson world where all of these emails were coming out, you know, in you know, intra office emails between police officers mm-hmm. where they were using not even coded racial language, but just no. like horrible, you know, just racial humor. Mm-hmm. And her response is basically like, well, what if someone d- dug through your emails? Um, well, I certainly don't send racist emails at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, <laughs> if someone wants to dig through my emails, I'm not inviting you to, I'd rather you not. But if mm-hmm. you did and you found some <laughs> stuff that was, was racist, I'd go, oh, fuck. And not be like, not cause I got caught, but just like, I didn't realize what I was doing. God damn it. Um, you know, contrition, that co- sort of a thing. Like, I right, fuck. Um, that and the whole, is it? Was it Santa that she was just trying to tell? Like, apparently kids watch her, her watched her old show on Fox News where she's like, Santa is just white. He just is. Yeah, Santa is white. Yeah. <laughs> As if that makes one look of difference. Who who cares? Also, again, no one's watching your primetime Fox News show who's not below the age of 50. And if they are, you should do something else with your time, even if you're older than 50. <laughs> Anything else? Read a goddamn book. <laughs> Please do anything <laughs> yes. else. Anything else. <laughs> so uh. again, like when people were, I know, I know, I, I harp on him all the time, but when Glenn Beck had this brief moment of wokeness, oh and God, <laughs> my friends and family who know, like I'm not, I can be, I, I have been more of, of a resentful person in the past. I try not to be, so I understand when they're like, just let it go. I'm like, no. I'm not letting it go. Well, it's mm-hmm. not that I'm like saying he's always going to be a horrible person. I'm just not buying this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like we can feel sorry. We can feel for that person. We can we can empathize. But to go, you would do the same. Really? I would go right. on TV and spout racist shit and then ask right. for your sympathy after like Donald Trump is mean to me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that took a very well, weird and turn. Then, <laughs> and then I'm going to write in my autobiography, which was a bestseller, because everybody felt bad that people at Fox and Donald Trump was mean to me. I write a passage saying that he called Fox and knew in advance about this question she was going to ask, and they knew he was really angry, and then deny it later. Like, she's she's a liar, too. Yes. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating. Well, and she knows <laughs> so what anyways. she's doing. She's an attorney. <laughs> yes, of course she is. <laughs> They all know what they're doing, Noel. Yes, <laughs> like, true. There's no getting around that. Um, but I, um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I, just I, just, I, need think to, of, I need to stop thinking about Megan Kelly. I brought her up, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> just, I think I'm pretty sure I've shown you this before. One of the instances where O'Reilly went on uh, David Letterman's show, uh huh, and he's trying to plead with Papa Bill. To just admit <laughs> that they're too stupid to believe the things they're saying. <laughs> and um, at one point, and this kind of goes, this goes back to this 
piece here into something else I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, where O'Reilly can't just stop bragging about his ratings and how like until he stopped hosting his radio show, he mm-hmm. was the t- you know he had the top ratings on like you know, talk radio, mm-hmm. and so when again Letterman presses him on you're too stupid to believe what you're saying, he says well like you know check out my ratings, and look that wouldn't lie and. Letters response something like, "Yeah, what are we stupid?" <laughs> what and are we stupid? The interview essentially culminates with uh, Letterman looking at. No, it actually doesn't culminate. It starts off fairly early on with him looking at the picture of young Bill O'Reilly in the back and goes, "Yeah, this just bugs me because uh, I have a kid who looks just like this, a sweet kid." And I worry that he's going to grow up to be a goon like you. <laughs> <laughs> a goon. What a good word. <laughs> it's true. Especially for Bill yeah. O'Reilly, who yeah. is now angrily tweeting out of his basement. And I loved when Patton Oswald was giving him shit because obviously we love podcasts, but Bill O'Reilly podcasting, you know he hates it. You know he hates it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what a step down for him. So. Oh, and then the other kind of big break that I actually hadn't seen this before was the, uh, was it Ailes or who was it that Mayer alludes to um, or told a reporter to bury the... The Stormy Daniels yes, story? Yes. It, it's actually alluded, I think, closer to Murdoch. So, and okay. that was that was the that other big thing sense. that we, yeah. yeah, the other big thing that, you know, we've, we've already mentioned Murdoch a little bit who just seems like such a swell guy. But anyways, you know, in the, in the background of all as of this, as I get the, money. right. It, it, at the background of all of this, like even above Ailes shine is Rupert Murdoch, who is the owner of Fox news. And, and he, he's like, he's like, what? 80- media conglomerate. Absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah, I mean, a global media conglomerate. And um, he's like, what? 85 now. Every time something? I see his age, I'm like, I, I thought I didn't realize he was that old. He's that old. Like yeah, he's, he he's, is. He's almost he, up to ninety, I believe. <laughs> yeah, he he really is that old. But it's like that, and that's kind of what I. Those were the main points that I took out of like the last third of her article. Is um, you know, she she kind of breaks down like the 2011 through 2016 stuff, but then she kind of makes a, a more sweeping arc around like Murdoch is the yes. one really behind all of this because at the end of the day, he's the one that got to ch- got to choose who worked for him and what they did. Mm-hmm. And um, Ailes it, made him a shitload of money. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And well, and he trusted Ailes in a lot of ways because again, at least Ailes could kind of keep things from going too off the rails. Correct. Who could tell Sean Hannity to tone it down, uh, to fire Glenn Beck because they were losing all of their advertisers and people were getting upset. Um, it was Murdoch who supposedly made the final call on that Stormy Daniels story. So that that young journalist who had she's not working there anymore, obviously, but. Mm-hmm who had done her due diligence, like actually trying to be a real reporter and doing her homework and who had seen the contracts or copies of the contracts for, you know, keeping Stormy Daniel's story quiet um, and, and realized that the, the catch and kill contract was done by the inquirer to, you know, help elect president Trump. She wanted to go public with it like in October. So, you know, a few weeks before the election and that ultimately her boss told her, well, Murdoch wants Trump elected. Mm-hmm. So just forget about it. Yep. 
Yeah. And of course, everybody denies that anything like that was ever said, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, do we really have a reason to not believe that? Murdoch has known Trump since the 70s. And mm-hmm. he's made a shit ton of money off of publishing stories about Trump when he was just the billionaire playboy in New York City, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Was, what is it? The New York Post? Is that is that the big... Uh, kind of rag that yeah, Murdoch ran back that, then. And he also runs the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Wall Street Journal. That makes sense, too. Which is explicitly um, opinion, mind you. Yes. But it's constantly <laughs> quoted by people like Trump. Lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and the funny thing throughout all of this is that Murdoch thinks Trump is an idiot. And he's correct. And he's right. And yet he is still willing to just let his horrible tropes who Murdoch has publicly said he, he's a moron. He's a xenophobe. Murdoch is from Australia. Mm-hmm. Like he's all about immigration. Yes, he yes. happily made his fortune in other countries besides the one that he was born in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, in all of this too, the final, the final straw that I did not know about was the contract or the, whatever you want to call it, the buyout or merger between the Fox yes. conglomerate and Disney that's about to go down. Which obviously helps Murdoch and it helps Trump. Yes. And they and Trump in the in the background has been actively pushing the Department of Justice to interfere with other mergers and acquisitions that would specifically help their quote unquote enemies. So like the AT and T thing that got shot down, or well, it didn't get shot down, did it? Oh, the Time Warner AT and T. Yeah, yeah, it did get shut. Yeah, it it did. Well, or at least Trump publicly Trump wanted it not tried to happen to, yeah right they, they i mean they made phone calls it very like inappropriately to the Correct. department of justice to try and tell them to interfere interfere with certain mergers and acquisitions over the last couple of years that would have benefited companies like cnn mm-hmm. who is who is obviously not a fan of trump and trump is not a fan of them but this fox disney deal is going to go down so murdoch who is a billion years old and convalescing somewhere and is not really running things at Fox anymore. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's gone beyond what it was ever supposed to be (laughs) in some ways. But at the same time, her main point is like, this is what Murdoch always planned. Like he always planned to have major financial Mm -hmm. Uh, successes and gains from fear-mongering and politics of race and class. From our political system, he has planned to make shitloads of money. Yes. He was quoted quoted by the New Yorker in 1995 as saying, authoritarian societies can work. Yes. So he has no problem with what's going on right now. He's making too much money. Yes, and as we've talked about before, part of what is attractive about you know, fascism to rich people is that they believe that they rightly have their money. So they're the ones that should be not only running society, but benefiting the most from right. everything involved in it. Right. Uh, I was just going to add as far as like what this article doesn't even get to, you know, what I talked about earlier is because there was no oversight done of Trump during the first two years of his administration, because the Republicans are all some combination of afraid of him slash just opportunists like Murdoch. Um, Mm -hmm. And no one ever was like, Hey, um, no, you do need to divest yourself from your business. You do need to show us your tax returns. We don't know if money from Murdoch 
you know, who's I can't remember the actual name of his. Uh, I think it's News Corp. Is the name of his like yeah. big parent company. If money is flowing directly to Trump, mm. or if it's you know, there's all sorts of other things that could be going on because we just don't know. And mm-hmm. while I'm certainly not in favor of the Democrats just constantly like pulling a whole kind of like a constant Benghazi situation. We don't know this man's finances because he won't reveal them. And he's broken every single norm as far as what presidents do. Jimmy Carter got rid of his peanut farm. Right. Because he was afraid of a conflict of interest problem of some kind. Yes. A peanut farm. (laughs) A freaking peanut farm. The whole, what got Bill Clinton impeached, the whole, like, what turned into the Ken Starr investigation, mm-hmm. came from a land deal from the 70s that went south and didn't make anybody any money. Yeah. So, that being said, this is all horrible, but it's <laughs> probably worse as far as what Trump is actually pocketing from this. At right. least, like, Murdoch, we, we know he's what he's doing kind of directly. Right. As far as making money, Trump, we don't know if it's just his ego being boosted mm-hmm. or if it's his uh, wallet that's being boosted. But either way, Michelle, which what are both of those things uh, kind of elements of? Hmm. <laughs> I, I have hmm. no idea, Noel. I'm clueless. Hmm. Corruption. <laughs> uh, yeah, strong yeah. man corruption. Yeah. Fascism, that's right. Right. An, an oligarchy. Wonderful. You know, and it just is an aside here too. So this article also talks about how basically there's no almost no more White House press briefings, and we're used to seeing those like what daily. Yep. So they haven't been done in a long time. Well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she (laughs) just like quit doing them, right? She did one recently. Oh, she sure did. (laughs) This article was published, what, Thursday or Friday last week? And all of a sudden she had her first White House press briefing after 42 days of no press briefings. That's like the longest stretch ever. (laughs) Like, that's not a thing. 42 days with no, but she's been on Fox News several times. Oh, yeah. See, they don't need the White House press briefings anymore because they can just go on state TV. I mean, Fox News. Yes. I, unless you've got some more. Uh, I'm guessing you probably were taken aback and like, not taken aback, but like looked at the last sentence on here and was you're like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the last sentence again? So it's a quote from Jerry Taylor, the co-founder of the, this Canaan, I don't know. I'll look it up. This Canaan Center. <laughs> A thick take in Washington for moderates. And he says, quote, In a hypothetical world without Fox News, if President Trump were to be hit hard by the Mueller report, it would end. It would be the end of him. But with Fox News covering his back with the Republican base, he has a fighting chance because he has something no other president in American history has ever had at his disposal. A servile propaganda operation. And that is just... You know, just incisive, just right to right. the point. Right. I I feel like just as a historian, you could almost argue that maybe FDR kind of had the similar thing because he had a lot of support from Hollywood. True. However, 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 that was during an actual national emergency called the yes. Great Depression in World War II, as opposed to this like fake caravan bullshit. Um, yeah. 
And also, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry, since I brought up the caravan. Oh, yeah. It said that the ratings during the the height of the caravan fake news on Fox News <laughs> before the midterm elections, the ratings for October of 2018 on Fox News were higher than they were in October of 2016 before the the regular presidential election, which just shows you what a hardcore base that this horrific racist and classist now propaganda machine has at their disposal. One of the things that I found the most illuminating about our dive into fascism here, Michelle, is that Mm -hmm. I went into this election thinking I I had certain assumptions in my head. And one of them was that Fox News far prefer as far as like a business model would far prefer a Hillary Clinton presidency because Rush Limbaugh kind of faded to relative obscurity during mm-hmm. the George W. Bush years. Mm-hmm. I mean, what made Rush Limbaugh was really Bill Clinton. And he bounced back under Obama. And Fox News, I thought, kind of reached this. You, you didn't think they were that powerful under George W. Bush, which they were, but mm-hmm. they seem to have this zenith because they they were the ones amplifying the quote-unquote Tea Party. Right. So I assumed that would be the case, and they'd have a hard time kind of filling it and keeping their ratings up with mm-hmm. anyone who wasn't a Democrat. Right. Boy, was I fucking wrong because, <laughs> right. Jesus Christ, like... <laughs> I know, and 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 Mayor talks about that because you know she says that in in the past, <laughs> before whatever horrible like episode of history we're in right now, <laughs> your your ratings were better when the news was bad for your opposing yes. party, and when things were going good for you, people were like, or no, going bad for you it was like, eh, you know. And this is totally like flip that on its head. Like it's the opposite of that. They're lying with impunity and people are loving it. They are. They are. And they are so angry and so scared and so like codedly racist and classist. They, yeah, they just, they're eating it up. Eating it up. It's, it is. The truth doesn't matter. No. Fascism. The truth is what I want it to be. Exactly. Fascism. Exactly. Um, so I've got another Fox News thing. Unless you want to discuss any more on this. Because I think I'll, I'll definitely put in the show notes. Because it's, as Michelle said, it's worth a read. It's a, it's a little long. But even for me, who I've read Gabriel Sherman's book. And this is kind of like, this is almost like a epilogue to Gabriel Sherman's book the loudest mm-hmm. uh, voice in the room mm-hmm. because it's, it's got some of the same stuff, but it's new stuff you don't know about. So it's, I'm just trying to say like, even me and who reads up on this stuff is like, this was good. So yeah, this definitely. was a very, very well researched and put yes. together article. Yeah. It's definitely my, worth reading. My only thought as far as like critique here is, uh-huh. and this isn't on her. I think some of her sources embellished a bit and she didn't really like tone it down. That's mm. my only editorial critique here, you know, and take that uh, 
you know, Jane Mayer, award-winning author and journalist from, right. you know, I'm, you know, <laughs> check me out. I yeah. write for my own blog I that I pay for. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I felt that too. Like a lot of a lot of the paragraphs just kind of end with this like crazy outlandish quote, and then she doesn't really like say anything more about it. Sometimes, like it, it, obviously, it continues on with the the main point of the mm-hmm. of the article and the research and stuff. It's not like it's out of yeah, nowhere, but at the same time, like do what? No, nothing hinges on those. It just kind of flourishes. Yeah, exactly. It just is like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well talk more about it but anyways yeah it was it was a good article so um so i'll get into the tucker thing here in a second but okay <laughs> i first wanted to go with the propaganda network and just obvious lies so it, if i read some more on i know i've mentioned this before in a podcast i don't know if it made it to a final cut or not that kim jong Eel claimed in his first round of golf ever to shoot something like a 34 under par for the round. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, considering that, like, it's some of, like, the easier, air quotes there, easier golf courses that PGA players do, they might shoot, say, 20 under par. That, like, that's very, that's, that's a fucking amazing for a three-day tournament. Three days getting that under. Like, this is like several holes in one, all sorts of shit. And what I saw too is that apart from the caddy that Kim Jong-il used, probably not wanting to get the real score because he gets <laughs> shot. Um, <laughs> they also think he just didn't know how to fill out a scorecard. Hmm. And so what he may have been writing down was uh, how many over par Kim Jong-il was on each hole. Okay. (laughs) As opposed to how many strokes he actually, like, and that's even putting it generously. Right. (laughs) um, Because for any of you that have golfed, and I'm sure some of you are better, probably everyone's better than me, but there are times when, like, great drive, great next shot. And then four putt, or I'll get stuck in the sand trap, or I'll hit it or in the woods. For, yeah, like some of our less, you know, the less talented people on this podcast who still can't get the ball in the hole at putt putt <laughs> golf after like forty-seven strokes, and your friends just quit counting so you don't cry. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, it's yes. Golf is incredibly <laughs> frustrating, and so if you're not good at putt putt, I. Totally, I can assure you that playing actual golf is more frustrating because there are more oh, opportunities sure. to fuck up <laughs> and fuck up with vigor <laughs> when you're <laughs> driving the ball off the tee. You go to the trees and the water, just skip the ball off the ground, completely miss the ball, which is a thing. Um, so what's come out now is that Trump wants well, he on at one of his golf courses he has some sort of placard something commemorating his co-champion status at one of his clubs oh, in a brother. tournament that he didn't even play in. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and why I bring this up is for those of you dialed into the internet and to Twitter, which again, maybe don't do so much of it. I'll just allow 
I won't even say me and Michelle. Just allow me to do it. Okay. <laughs> I won't. I won't wish that upon you, Michelle. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last week at a meeting with different, I think it was just tech giants, but seated next to Apple CEO Tim Cook, Trump introduced him as Tim Apple. <laughs> and the video is fairly obvious. He says, Tim Apple. And when donors were like at a, some sort of function were asking Trump, like, did you really call him Tim Apple? He's like, no, of course not. I said, Tim Cook Apple, like just super fast. You just didn't hear the cook. The cook was silent. <laughs> and I guess even the donors like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like, you can clearly hear him say Tim Apple. Also, I'll post this in the show notes. The Daily Show did a great job of like mashing these together. He's okay. done this a fair amount of times. Where either he gets the person's name wrong, where they're from, or just does the, like, for person's first name and where they were. So just the fact that he doesn't fucking care, or that he thinks that, you know, people will believe him, is beyond upsetting. <laughs> and shows just how Fox News has enabled him, and how, you know, who's ever going to tell someone, hey, uh, <laughs> you're wrong, and we know you're full of shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is a horrible segue, but I'm going to take this into the Tucker Carlson thing here. Oh, please do. Go for it. <laughs> for those of you unaware, and I don't watch Tucker Carlson's show. I just have seen segments of him you know, back when he was on CNN for that terrible show, Crossfire, which I know <laughs> they brought it back, but is it still back or did they shut it down again? I, I have no idea, Noel. I really don't. <laughs> I've I'm sorry. Asked, um, <laughs> Let me look it up for you. Okay. Keep going. Keep talking. <laughs> I've asked conservative friends who I find interesting to like M Michelle when you've been unavailable to like come on and like guest host with me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, is it a debate format? Like, no, it's not a debate format because those are stupid. Yeah, like, they, they shut it down again. I don't think it's right okay. anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because turning politics as Fox News has done, into sheer entertainment mm -hmm. is stupid. You should try and inform people, too. So if the whole point is to get on the air and yell at each other, again, my conservative friend who doesn't listen to this, I was trying to explain <laughs> to him that, like, because I was like, well, I, my position doesn't really represent anyone but my own. Uh -huh. And I can tell you, I was like, from talking with you know friends of mine, like you, Michelle, and like Courtney, that I oftentimes split from even people that like are generally progressive. Mm -hmm. it, like, so we, we have a fair amount of like, there's differences, but you know, we don't get on here and like, we have debated it, but like, we're not going to yell at each other about it. We got here and say, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. Cool. Like, let's talk about it. So mm -hmm. <laughs> those kind of shows are awful. And Tucker Carlson was on a CNN show the news later on MSNBC, which we'll come back to here in a second. And mm -hmm. he's since hosted. Did he take over Bill O'Reilly's time slot? I think I, I, thought, I thought Shane Hannity did. Yeah, I think Sean Hannity took over Bill O'Reilly's time slot, which was, I think, previously held by. Um, I think so. Hannity's time slot was previously held by Megyn Kelly, unless I'm mistaken. Mm. Oh, you, you're probably right. And yeah, then cause... so when Hannity moved up. Kelly's gone. 
Tucker Carlson moved into Hannity's spot. And they do, for those of you who are old enough and you know are, are were fans, they do kind of a thing that uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert used to do with this <laughs> sort of like handoff at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. But it's not a joke. It's legit, like, you know, oh, God. Anyways, Tucker Carlson hosts <laughs> what I call the White Power Hour on Fox News. Hannity is certainly does a lot of that, but he's more wild conspiracies and shit. Um, Tucker Carlson is very dialed in to, he's just tapped this white, white resentment, we'll call it that, but it's certainly white supremacist, like, vein that he Mm -hmm. sees in the viewer base for Fox News. So he is an awful person. I have said before that I don't advocate anyone going to his house and harassing his wife, but he is an awful, awful man who should not be on the air spewing these things. He's making everything worse. And this weekend, Media Matters just put out some recordings of him on, Michelle, this is how stupid all of this is. Remember when we talked about the whole nobody speak and like the Hulk Hogan lawsuit? I sure do. <laughs> so and his, and his buddy Bubba the Love his... Sponge—that's him. <laughs> Tucker Carlson went on his show in the mid two thousands as Tuck, and basically the short version is douche broed out. Yep, he went on there. And defended Warren Jeffs for having sex with a six. Well, I think he just, they just said marrying a sixteen-year-old. Warren Jeffs. Uh, again, we've talked about this in the podcast. Mm-hmm. He tape recorded himself having sex with a fourteen-year-old, and which is, is rape. Yes, and is rightly in jail where he belongs. So Warren Jess is not only just a sexual predator and a pedophile, pedophile, a false prophet. Seems like Mm -hmm. a a, that seems too gentle, though. Yes, but I mean that's just a good label for it, anyways. I don't know. Yeah, he 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 was a cult leader. Yes, that's a better term for it. There we go, cult leader instead of Um, false prophet. (laughs) Yeah, who he's ruined whether it's through his sexual predation has ruined countless lives with his bullshit cultism. Um, well, 16, 16 year olds, they make up their minds for themselves, right? Am I right? Fuck you. Um, also, he, it appeared he just kind of wanted to go on there to say things like, and I, for those of you out there that uh, aren't already alarmed by how much I curse, uh, I don't like this word. He went on there and said things like cunty to describe mm. women he did not like. So when Media Matters dropped all of these reportings, and one of the first things that his supporters said was, this is out of context. They just dropped recordings of what he said. I don't know how you can contextualize that. Also, how do you put in context a defense of statutory rape uh, that, you know, would make it better? I don't know. And sort of where I'm going with this is now even quote-unquote, reputable havens of conservative thought, such as the uh, National Review, Mm. are going to bat for him, saying that, oh, well, this is just a hit job by Media Matters trying to take down 
someone they don't agree with. And one of their things is that this is false outrage because we already despise uh, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, but I didn't know he was this horrible. You know what I mean? Which is a good point. I, you know, and for all those years, he pretended to be like a little bit nicer with those fucking bow ties. And, you yep. know, like he was like, yeah, he was like the less angry one. You know, he was way more chill than some of the other people. But he has gotten a lot more like explicit mm-hmm. and uh, overt about some of his views over the years. And this recording from 2008, I mean, yeah. it's like, whoa. <laughs> This was all said, none of this was kosher. Like, you can say shit like this now on Fox News, but you couldn't 10 years ago. No. And what what is driving me so insane about all of this is, if he just said, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was, like, then I say I don't know this thing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm embarrassed by these things. And I need to get better. I'd hear him out. I'd listen mm-hmm. from there on. Mm-hmm. But his explanation was, I said naughty things you know, 12 years ago, but this was a hit job by Media Matters. And the kicker, this was just being like, this is just total nonsense. Anyone who watches my show now can tell you that this isn't the case. Right. Yes, you don't condone sexual assault. Uh, sexual violence you just condone white nationalism and white supremacy and mm-hmm. xenophobia and he has made them himself the victim yes which is and this is probably unfair to the man about to like whose name I'm about to invoke but i feel like the new model here is the kavanaugh model Oh my Don't god. Go... What do you mean? That's a, that's perfect, Noel. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I just I don't want to say that I don't want to put that all on him, but I feel like that as a flashpoint was kind of what we saw happen, which is uh-huh. rather than going he could even just Kavanaugh could have said, I was a young man, I don't remember this, but if I did, I'm sorry. Right. Say you fucked up, trucks of nutrition, remorse. It's not hard. Instead, it's, no, I didn't do that. You're all out to get me, and I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And I don't like this path we're going down because, <laughs> again, back to with our whole fascism discussion, it's this you know politics of eternity where mm-hmm. we have to treat everything the same because, well, yeah, I said dumb stuff, but fuck you. Well, and it's not, yeah, and it's it's to the point now, like, no, I never said that, Trump. Yeah. Like, he just, he denies everything he ever says. And, you know, this lack of apology or consideration or even just, you know, self-reflection after you say these horrible, demeaning things about women and people of minorities and, like, saying that people in Iraq are illiterate when they had a higher literacy than, yeah. than the United States did before we invaded them. Like, it's... In a president who it's it's dangerously close to that. Fox so. News and gets typos. What is yeah. this? Like it has not words go up there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Though, like I didn't say that, and I don't know what's worse—the flat-out lying, or the well. I'm just going to say that if any news source that isn't Fox News says I did this, it's illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And. I, I, 
I did go on Twitter and make fun of. I didn't make fun of. I actually tried to do legit. I've been trying to be less smarmy on Twitter, and legit was like, <laughs> I said something like, because uh, uh, a quick side note while I'm doing this, my computer's been so slow. I should have restarted it. Um, so I listened to Mark Marin's podcast, the 1000th episode. Oh, cool. And he talks to his business partner and producer who I'd never mm-hmm. heard on there before. And they were talking about the whole like editing process. Okay. And how often you have to edit out ums and likes and other ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Because I um a fair amount. I like a fair amount. You're actually pretty good about it. Oh, I, thanks, Noel. <laughs> I do a fair amount of... I'm not like, sure about that. Like, but... <laughs> before I start a sentence, you do some of that too, but you're not bad. <laughs> Everybody had did a surprising <laughs> amount of that. And oh, he, really? He was so good on the microphone than that. He would just occasionally just click his tongue. And I was like, huh. huh. I'm stoked to hear that episode, by the way. It's it's really cool. It's oh, I might do a two-parter. It's it's a long conversation, but sure, apart from fine. the clicks, he just gets going, and he's really good. Cool. That's awesome. Um, there's the um right there, but his producer <laughs> was saying that he tries not to cut two of the too much of them out because a lot of times it's really a like when I um it's a, a moment to stop and think mm. and rather it's like that rather than going okay I've got my thoughts together let's do this <laughs> the um just comes up because it's just a filler so I thought that was pretty cool well I think spacing and fillers it you're having a conversation like it's going to happen it's okay which, which they talk <laughs> about too it, that's the whole point of why he does it I, yeah apparently mark Marin does a thing where he actually starts the recording okay before the person even gets into the room with him oh wow okay that's interesting and which made me think we've got to revisit what it'll cost to get us these heavy things edited because <laughs> His producer was like, yes. He'll like text him like, yeah, that was some surgery. Because uh, I guess what's one of his guests was on there. And she, like, as soon as she left, was like, that's going to be a tough one to edit. Because I was all over the place. <laughs> and when he posted the conversation, she texted him was like, that was great. And his producer was like, yeah, that was some surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me glad that uh, we, well, you mostly get notes together. We try and do that. Oh, <laughs> I think it makes more authentic conversation, though, because I've done another podcast where when we start, it's are you ready? We don't talk for 15 seconds until everything is ready to go. And yeah. then it's just scripted. Bam, 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 bam. We're done. Yeah. So it's almost more like radio. OK. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you leave all that in. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably put most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Britt Hume, who was. I got this from Gabe Sherman's book. Is one of Ailes like long time, like one of his first hires at Fox News. Okay. He wrote, and this is to the point about like Murdoch and Fox News and all that. What really drives the left and its agents nuts is that Tucker has succeeded in maintaining the Fox Fox's eight p.m. hour dominance since Bill O'Reilly's departure. Departure. What? Departure. <laughs> In a word. Um, and so I caught, I retweeted that with my own comment, which is 
if one of Roger Ailes most erstwhile allies is signal boosting your work, it should definitely give you pause. <laughs> it's just stuff like that. And where... that's funny, but that's <laughs> so correct and true. <laughs> like, uh, you should rethink that. <laughs> and I think, at least for me, and kind of my understanding of some of what I attribute some of my own growth to is people going, hey, um, something you've been saying, I think you might want to rethink that. Yeah. And I, I've gotten mad about it, but anymore I'm like, oh, tell me about it. Like, I'm not, and not in a, like, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, tell me what you think about it. Like, no, like, I just don't get it. I want to figure, I want to hear this. And <laughs> that just bugs me that, not bugs me, it frightens me that that's where we're moving is when someone's like, hey, you were a douchebag back then, and I still think you kind of are. Nope. What? Yeah. Hear the person <laughs> out. Like, try and empathize or, like, at least listen to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't happen. Although, no. we are told that we have to listen to flat earthers or people that are convinced the earth is 500 years old. Or anti-vaxxers. Like I don't oh. know, man. Apart from the anti-vaxxers, Julia generally tries to stay out of, like, the minor, I'll call them minor, but, like, the day-to-day kind of political flaps. Yeah. So last, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, this whole move thing has me, uh, just my time. Discombobulated, Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> um, and so I think it was maybe two weeks ago. Uh-huh. Trump signed an executive order that could possibly strip, and you'll like this, Michelle, because we talked about this before as well. Oh God! Possibly strip <laughs> colleges from federal funding of federal funding if they do not protect quote freedom of speech. Oh, brother! <laughs> and that is oh, that's why I go to the flat God. Earth thing. That is like, yeah. hey, um. What I believe is what I believe, even if it's not backed up by one iota of actual scientific so, facts. So, you know, you know what that really does is it protects the one douchebag yep. in every Feminism 101 class Ugh. that is so opinionated. He obviously knows more than all the women in the room. That's who that's supposed to protect. When I was in college taking an American political philosophy course... And I'm going to actually, I'll put his name out here now, and I'll think about it tonight, West, whether or not I want to publish okay. it. But the professor, okay. who I think is a very good professor, and he, he actually ran for political office at one point, uh, okay. Professor Ross, my one critique of him as a teacher for this one particular class, I only had him for the one, was that he did a bad, bad job of controlling the... I've got an opinion on everything and I don't remember the student's name. I wouldn't give it if I did, but there was a kid who sat in front who always had to chime in with the like, well, my dad or my grandparents say this. And for those of you that are taking a political science course, or Michelle, you probably tested for a history course. This is pretty <laughs> common where someone has to chime in with, well, I heard it's like, where did you hear that? Or like, mm-hmm. is that in the reading? Was that in the textbook? Exactly. Like, where, where the fuck did that come from, man? <laughs> yeah. And so he he had done kind of a poor job of really kind of keeping that stuff to a minimum. Yeah. So when 
someone was telling a story about uh, <laughs> refusing to teach nonsense in a political science classroom. It mm. made me think of the day that the student in front, who always had to give the my conservative parents or grandparents think this, spend everything. Yeah. We were talking about reparations. Uh-oh. <laughs> and oh, I wish, I, I really wish Such I Such a lighthearted this. issue yes. anyways, right? Yeah. <laughs> I really do wish I remember this student's name because she was a triple major in political science, sociology, and I want to say, I don't know if we had an African American studies major, and there was a department at UNC. Mm-hmm. But just super well-read on stuff that I knew, on stuff I sort of knew, and stuff I really didn't know. You would have to be pretty erudite to have a triple, like, yeah. major like that. Yeah. Really, really good. And, like, I was in a group with her for a project, uh-huh. and I was blown away. Just, ever, like, just responsible, knew more than the rest of us. It was just, it was fantastic being around her. So when she's bringing up an excellent point about reparations and how... Maybe it's not necessarily giving black people money directly, but at least acknowledging that there needs to be equal funding for perhaps just all schools. schools. Yeah, exactly. Yep. This other student chimes in and says, well, for a long time in this country, the Irish had it nearly as bad as black people. The professor jumped in and like he never did this and went we are not about to sit here and for a second pretend that the irish had in any way as nearly as bad as people as that were people. enslaved initially yes. when they came to this country and then had and laws then terrorized and, yes. and lynched for decades yeah, yeah had laws that explicitly kept them down and also laws that did not protect them right like, oh my gosh and so when I hear stuff like, oh, you have to protect free speech. No. I don't. It's not that I don't <laughs> you want do. that kid's you do. free speech <laughs> but... protected. I just don't want his to have more weight or equal weight for that matter in an so, academic setting than someone that knows her shit. I, okay. So I'm going to jump in here with okay. a, a podcast um, interview I heard. And if you, our dear listeners, haven't noticed, we listen to a lot of podcasts and we don't always remember which podcast it was on. But I swear to God, it was on a podcast. It was an interview with Christian Amanpour, who is a very Mm -hmm. well-respected journalist uh, for BBC, I believe. And she does a lot of other projects. She first got her fame covering the genocides during the uh, wars in uh, in Bosnia in the early 90s. but anyways, Christiana Amanpour, she said that people think of journalism and news as a, you're supposed to be neutral. You're supposed yes. to be fair. You're supposed to present, quote unquote, both sides. I hate that phrase. Oh, both yes. Both sides of the argument with complete objectivity. And she said that is completely incorrect. The Mm -hmm. point of journalism and learning and studying things is to look at the different sides of things and figure out which one is right. It is not about like, it's, it's not about 
presenting any particular argument over any particular subject as having equal weight. You're supposed to figure out what is right. And, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> so you can have freedom of speech. But if you, if I was a, a history teacher right now and you walked into my classroom and said that Hitler was a great leader, I'd tell you to get out. Yeah. I had a teacher. I don't teacher... care what your points are. He created, you, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that is patently wrong because of what he did. You can't, you can't come in and be like, well, Hitler was a great leader and Hitler wasn't. Both sides have equal value. That is Ugh. wrong. That is wrong. Absolutely. It just always just like me... to say that the Irish had it just as bad Ugh. as as black people during the 19th century. Ugh. That is patently wrong. You can say that all day long if you want, but if I am the educator in that room, that is not going to fly. Yes, as uh, you know. Dare Patrick Moynihan once said, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Right. And this yep. is, I, I, which I think kind of is the essence of what... All of this? Yeah. <laughs> where, Everything that we're talking about? Well, I, I don't think we can hammer this enough where when fascism wants to have non-factual things, to, like have equal weight to things that are factual, right? we should all be alarmed. It's Absolutely. Just because you Tim Apple, yeah. <laughs> Tim Apple, or just because you know, to use an example of Gabe Sherman's book, the loudest voice in the room. Just mm -hmm. because you have an opinion, you can say it loudly. You can be signal boosted by, in most cases, billionaires. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you're right. Um, just because you can shut down a media organization that you are mad at because you've got money. Mm -hmm. doesn't make you right it actually makes you fucking wrong right. um <laughs> uh, speaking of podcasts i just want to bring this up before we get too much longer because michelle i think you will you in particular really like this um okay you've heard of it the podcast is called you're wrong about oh i'm gonna write that down hold on <laughs> what is so what is you're wrong about about noel <laughs> So I've listened to episodes where they discuss Enron, which, as you know, I've read a fair amount about Enron. So You have, yes. I didn't learn anything specifically new, but I learned a couple things like, oh, I, you, you think about things a little bit differently. However, the Terry Schiavo episode they do, boom. Like, I was in college when that happened, but, like, I did not really <laughs> know the whole extent of it. And to your whole point about both sides yeah, is... For those of you that out there that uh, if you are listening to this and think that the mainstream media is driven by a liberal agenda, you're probably incorrect. You're, what you're hearing is more likely what Michelle just alluded to is the both sides thing. Hmm. And there really wasn't a both sides thing to what was going on with the Terry Schiavo thing too much. It was they wanted to believe all the sensationalist things about Michael Schiavo being a douchebag and a horrible person and make him speak to all of it and felt that was balance. When really, if you listen to the podcast, you're like, uh, you feel bad for him. He, you don't know too much about him, but you're like, he does kind of seem like he was just trying to do the right thing by his wife who I won't give too much away. Um, mm. was long since gone. Yeah. And Anical Smith. And I thought about this too, from, you know, they, they do a great job of kind of showing how 
she was just kind of put through the ringer by our own societal values mm-hmm. rather than being understood as an actual person. She was just a commodity that was essentially used and discarded. There are so many examples of women like that. Yes, and, and um, they do a good job what, of that. I listened to Amy Fisher one today, which oh, I didn't know as much about. And it's like, what the fuck? Uh, so there's, I mean, there's been a couple articles over the last few years talking about that with Monica Lewinsky. Oh, yeah. And, Have you watched yes. the uh, Amazon thing about that? No, I haven't. I it's really good. A lot of them, I think, they, they spend okay. too much time trying to humanize the villain. Okay. They don't really do that here. They humanize him, but in a way that you're like, you feel sorry for him, but you more so feel sorry for her. You're just like, you just kind of seem yeah. pathetic as where she seems like she got used by all of this. She wasn't asking right. for any of it. Right. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I was going to have that be my good thing of the week, but I was like, it has to oh, be really? more positive <laughs> than that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, speaking of which, do you have something else that could be your uh, good thing of the week? I do, and because we're about to hit the, uh, we're at an hour and twenty three minutes right now. All right. So, yeah, um, it's about time we hit the good thing of the yes. week. <laughs> All right, this may be a little cheesy, and it's not super well thought out, oh. but I'm just looking around. Uh, and Michelle, if you have time when you're up here in a couple weeks, you should see if you can get up here. We're we're literally like a few blocks from where you used to live. Okay. Yeah. You know, the good thing of the week is obviously, you know, I'm I'm getting married in a couple of weeks, but also Julia has put so much time into making this place. Like it, it, it's not completely finished, but it looks super awesome. Um, She put, we got a, you know, adult kind of bed. I don't know if that makes any sense. But, like, you know, an actual, like, <laughs> bed frame and all that headboard. And she spent all this time putting it together today. Uh, she got food poisoning when we first got here. Yeah. So, like, she didn't Aww. have a lot of time to get stuff done. And I did what I could. And mostly what I'm good at is moving shit around. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, she's just done a great job of making this place look a lot better. And it just it feels more like a home. And, like, when I sit out front... The dog's currently laying down and just watch the TV. It's like, this is a cool spot. So that's... Okay. I'm I'm enjoying that. And it's almost to the point where um, <laughs> I think I'm like, yeah, we're going to get married. So I'm kind of... I'm, I'm not... I'm over that. It's like, no, this is, this is awesome. And I'm glad <laughs> we're in here before we got married so that, you know, it's just going to be like, an awesome start to everything. So that's that's my good thing of the week, or good things yeah. of the week, if you will. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm so I'll try I'll try to come see it because I'm really excited to be out there for your wedding. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. So it's not gonna snow anymore, which <laughs> I guess it's snowing where you are right now, isn't it? Not yet. Not yet. We're, <laughs> like okay, so you know, Colorado, like most of our snowpack, it really stays in the mountains. It's pretty it's rare. True. Like down in the foothills, down in Denver, you know, that you really get too much snow during the winter. And this is obviously like at the late end of the winter season, but March tends to be our snowiest month. Um, But the last few days have been gorgeous, like just sunny and the temperature is perfect. Everything is beautiful. And then today, 
everybody's phones are exploding because they're I like snowpocalypse that. is coming like 10 inches 70 mile an hour gusts <laughs> on the eastern oh plains. jesus like, yeah yeah that's what they're predicting so i i really hope that they're wrong i mean the <laughs> news forecasting is you know pretty inaccurate <laughs> when it comes to these major snowstorms like you know they can't ever seem to get it right well i think they also just don't want to be super wrong so they're like if it's as <sighs> bad as it could be let's report that as opposed to like right. it should be okay <laughs> so you know so what usually happens is on the days they're like oh yeah one inch of snow no big deal and then we'll get half a foot and no snow plows come out for like 48 oh, hours. Yeah. So it's all terrible for, you know, a day or two. And then when they predict snowpocalypse, it's like it rains or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so the plows are just like driving around on wet roads with nothing to plow. Yeah. So, so who the fuck knows? But anyways, yeah. It is I'm, Colorado. I'm like, it is Colorado. It's super unpredictable. It can be snowing and, and sunny at the same time. I swear to God. It's true. Um, yeah um but anyways i'm i'm excited to be out there for your wedding and i i'll be glad to be out there because when i visited you last summer it was during all the horrible fires yep and so i really couldn't see anything when i was at the top of the space needle so i'm hoping i'll get my i'll get my chance to like it's, see the water and see see the sound it really depends <laughs> like because uh, oh i'm sure it does i'm sure it does it does really clear up as far as the fog in like that fog, the cloud cover goes to like mm -hmm. as I've said before, Fourth of July. But um, it is like so I'm like three or four months too early. Yeah, but at least there won't be smoke. <laughs> at least there won't be smoke. Yeah, you can like breathe outside. Yeah, I'm assuming yeah, that's cool. It won't be going outside without like if you're outside for more than an hour, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes. Oh Jesus! <laughs> it's like oh God. <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. So I think with that, we'll uh, call it. Thanks, Michelle. Jesus. Thanks, Noel.